as we're going to look at a topic that I believe the Lord put on my heart and burdened me about over the last few, really the last few months. If you were to use one word to characterize the year 2020, which word would you use? There's probably a lot of good options, right? Uh, specifically, if you were to describe the people in the year 2020, how would you describe them? Uh, again, you could say very adequately and make a defense for confused, frustrated, annoyed, discouraged, or depressed. Uh, let me briefly, just to recall the, this year's events to our minds, uh, outline some of what's going on this year. The Australian wildfires is kind of how we came into this year with a record 47 million acres being burned, displacing thousands of people. Uh, we have our own West Coast wildfires where, again, many people have been evacuated. That touches a little bit closer to home for me, being from Nevada. There's, of course, COVID-19 and the pressure that's been upon all of us on trying to stay healthy, safe, but continuing on with the demands of life. There's the social restraints that came with that. We have seen that these are sometimes perhaps selective and not always consistently administered. It can be a cause for frustration. There was the economic decline crash, as it was called by some back in March, April, where many small businesses and workers were displaced and had to close down. There were the protests over the racial tensions, and a lot of collateral damage has been done in our nation as a result of that. Uh, going outside of our nation, Beirut, Lebanon, and the explosion there, and the thousands of people that were affected by that catastrophic event. They're coming back personally to Iowa, there was the storm that hit us here, and we lost power for some of us an extended period of time. There were this year the deaths of some popular stars, and whether you liked these individuals or not, we recognize as we see their deaths that they were, many of them, young and we recognize the desire that we all have for, for life. And of course, in our context now, there is political chaos and division, and almost everything in this category is contentious. There's a lot of people, I believe, hurting right now. But people who are hurting do not often stay in a state of distress. One of the emotions that accompany people who are hurting is anger. A cursory view, I believe, of this year has shown that a lot of people are angry about what is going on. I am angry that I, or someone I know, lost property in the wildfires. I am angry or I, because I, or someone I know, am told that I cannot meet for church in some states, uh, but I can meet to protest. I am angry because I just bought groceries before I lost power and my refrigerator ruined all of the goods that I had just bought. I am angry because friends of mine think that a particular political candidate can officiate better than the one I prefer. I was reading a, a story recently of an FBI individual uh, releasing information that is no longer relevant to us now, who was, they were pursuing a spy and they believed they knew who it was, uh, but they weren't sure. And so they carefully observed this individual's life, watching every move he made, and at one point, in one of the security cameras in the individual's day-to-day -day life, he walked out of a flower store carrying flowers, but he didn't carry them like we as Americans would. If I can, grab this pencil. We typically hold them by the roots with the flowers coming up. This individual came out of the flower store holding them by the stems with the flowers pointing down. 
And this particular director happened to know that's how they carry flowers in Eastern Europe. And through a continued series of events, they eventually came to capture this spy posing as an American because they knew that the way you live your life will reflect who you really are. This morning, we're in Numbers 20, and as we heard read from, for us earlier, we come to the story of Moses and a, if you will, a fit of anger he had. And if you will, think for me with a moment, coming to this for the first time. You're in the book of Numbers. They've been in the wilderness for a long time. Moses been, has been with these people uh, who have complained, who don't really like him, and they've had a lot of different issues. And we come to hear Numbers 20, they don't have water again. Okay, we've actually seen this before. God's going to supply. But Moses gets angry. He's frustrated with the people and expresses his anger. And as a result, we're told that he can't go into the promised land. And if you're reading through that for the first time, you're like, what? He, he had one episode of anger, and just like that, he's done? And this morning, what I'm going to argue, if you will, what I'm going to try to help us to see in this sermon is that God's people should be characterized by self-control, not anger. And we're going to observe five facets of this truth that I believe if you are a child of God, you will be recognized. People will be able to watch the security camera of your life and be able to tell, I know who that person is. Because Christians, God's people, are characterized by self-control and not anger. We're going to observe five facets of this through an acronym, anger. And with that, please know, I'm not trying to be cute uh, or unnecessarily uh, linguistic this morning. I found it, this acrostic actually somewhere else. I felt it was fitting, so I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. A lot of the material I came up with on my own, but the, we're going to trace anger and across to A-N-G-E-R going through the text, and hopefully I think that'll help us better understand what I'm trying to posit this morning. We'll go through it. Uh, as I do, just a logistical comment to help you if you're taking notes. We'll start, if I say number one, by that I mean we'll explain the text. We're going to see what the text actually says. Two, we're going to observe the truth that transcends all time. And then three, we're going to make application to our lives. So explanation, observation, application as we go through Numbers 20 here. And so first, we come to the letter A for anger. And we see in Numbers 20 here that arrogance marked Moses. If you care to write it down, arrogance is what characterized Moses. We see this in the Lord's comment to him in verse 12, where God said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me, you did not believe me. Moses had an arrogant attitude. He was marked by self-importance, and he did not want to trust the Lord. Perhaps using a bit of sanctified imagination here, he may have been thinking, I delivered you people from Egypt. I brought you through the Red Sea. In the first place, when God and I chatted back at the bush, I didn't even want to be with you guys in the first place. And here I am, constantly at the brunt of your frustration. But still, Moses, in a moment of arrogance, sinned. And as a result of his sin, he was forbidden to enter the promised land. Moses, it's, this is fascinating to me, because Moses is described as a meek man and uh, a mentor of mine, a pastor, said, said it well, saying, quote, meekness is power under control. Anger is passion out of control, end quote. Think of it as a big bodybuilder, someone who's exceptionally strong, picking up a baby. 
they're able to pick up a lot more weight than that child, but they're going to handle that child gently. That is meekness. Anger grabs the books, the pencils, whatever is nearby, and throws them away because anger is passion out of control. So the observation of the truth here, there's a simple answer, I believe, to personal anger. Said very bluntly, it's not about you. God's people should never act independently from God. Moses knew exactly what God wanted him to do. In fact, what God wanted him to do wasn't really going to involve Moses much. He was going to just speak to the rock, thus showing very clearly who's bringing the water out. Earlier, Moses struck the rock in a different account, uh, which is what God wanted him to do. And it was clear that through Moses, God provided through the people. Here, again, God is working through Moses, but he was more passively involved. Moses didn't seem to like that and acted out of anger, acted out of arrogance. And when we focus on ourselves, I think that we find it easy to be angry. For example, when you are inconvenienced by others, you're likely to blow up. When I was a child, we uh, had a driveway, and it was common for us to leave our play equipment in the driveway, our bicycles, our little toy trucks. And so when my parents came home, they weren't able to pull into the driveway because we had left our toys there. They were kind and gracious with us and pulled us aside and explained why we should clean up after ourselves and put our toys away. But there is that opportunity for there for parents to become angry because they have been inconvenienced. Say you're running late for work and you're trying to get there and you hit every single light on your, there, on your way there red. Furthermore, or it seems like the uh, person in front of you is just really content going 10 under the speed limit. That's incredibly frustrating at times. You're inconvenienced. Uh, when you need perhaps uh, to shower so you can leave for a date but your roommate is still showering. Speaking a little bit of my time from the dorm there. Why do you need to take 30-minute showers? I've just been inconvenienced and am late for my date now because of somebody else. When you're perhaps trying to sleep in an apartment complex, but your neighbors are hosting a loud music concert. So this is an understanding of what anger is. It often is characterized by the person being arrogant. And so making application then, still keeping it with the letter A, if you will, I would encourage you to anticipate potential points of anger in your life. In other words, if you're running late for work, prepare yourself to be inconvenienced. I, I find myself often in this position. If I'm leaving and I know I'm barely going to make it on time, I do well, by God's enabling grace, to tell myself, I'm probably going to hit every light red this morning. And when I do, yep, sure enough, hey, I was right. And I'm not so angry. And if I don't, if I get the light green, hey, this is a great day. I got the light green and we're getting closer to work. Anticipate potential points of anger. If you've had a long day at work, prepare yourself to come home and walk into your home where your family has also had a long day uh, and are tired. If you're trying a new recipe, if you like to cook, prepare yourself for the possibility that someone may not like what you have just made. You're trying something new. Prepare yourself. Anticipate potential points of anger. It's easy to get angry when people don't like your cooking. But if you realize, well, I'm trying something new, we'll see how this goes. You can help yourself. Say another example. If you're already triggered from a former discussion you were involved in or you heard about advertisements that promote what you despise or who you despise, uh, maybe avoid Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for a while where you're probably just going to see a lot more of that be regurgitated. 
anticipate potential points of anger. That's A, coming down to N then. The context here in the text of Numbers 20 was negative. The people were upset, and they, this is not the first time the Israelites had complained to Moses. And the people attacked Moses personally. Look back there in Numbers 20. I'll read verses 3 through 5. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If we had only perished when our brothers perished before the Lord, why have you brought us uh, the Lord's assembly into this wilderness and for our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grains or figs vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Notice that their contention here with Moses is also, it's illogical. Uh, the, the people are saying, Moses, I just wanted a pomegranate. Moses, I just wanted some juicy figs. That's all I wanted. And they're so focused upon themselves that they make the whole context negative. And as a result, this we should know, too, that this situation led to this place later on being called uh, Meribah. That's verse 13, which literally is the place of contention or striving. I looked this word up in uh, Hebrew to see how else it is being used, and it's actually the word that can be very appropriately used to describe a brawl or to describe an all-out fight. Uh, the people were upset. This isn't some passive complaint that they're just being negative with Moses. They're ready to, uh, they're ready to perhaps throw some things to demonstrate their negative attitude. And then, so number two, observation of the truth here. A negative context often stimulates anger. When there's a lack of appreciation and the presence of criticism, I kind of sympathize with Moses. It's hard not to be angry. Imagine appearing your home for a friend's or your spouse's birthday party, and you're going out of your way to decorate. You uh, make the house look really nice, and when this individual comes home, uh, the first, one of the first things they say to you is, you forgot to take out the trash. <laughs> that can be frustrating. Uh, the context is negative, and criticism often prompts us to anger. What the people of Israel did was not right, but that does not justify Moses to act the way that he did. Uh, I think in light of James 4, I think it is fair to say if you're angry, you're wrong, even if you're right. The people were not correct in complaining before Moses, but Moses was not correct in responding the way that he did. So in application then, note your reactions. Uh, one commentator wrote, angry people are blind to their own anger or at least to the wrongness of it. So I would encourage you, maybe ask your spouse or a friend for help. When you're in the moment when you are angry, it is difficult sometimes to see, to see yourself, but other people can see you very clearly and very well. Ask for help. Listen to your friends. Are you re regularly being told to cool down or to take a moment? And if you are, you may be struggling with anger. Why is there strife? Why is there contention in this context? Why was there a problem in the first place? Well, Proverbs 30:33, 30, which has much to say on anger, by the way, reminds us that the pressing of milk produces curds, the pressing of a nose produces blood, and the pressing of anger produces strife. And you can also know when you're angry in noting your reactions by also recognizing your own physiological 
responses. I think this is made explicitly clear in Daniel 3, that Nebuchadnezzar had just set up a golden image. He wanted everyone to bow down and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, nope, we're not going to do it. And it says that he was filled with wrath and his countenance changed. Literally, the text, if we were to translate it literally, is his face changed. Now, his face wouldn't literally have changed, but we understand that angry people, they look like it. Their heart begins to pump more. Their body temperature perhaps begins to rise. You can tell by looking at somebody that they're angry. So note your reactions because you have people watching you. You have family, friends, co-workers. Don't come home and just kick the cat if you're angry. You need to note your reactions. We need to keep going. Uh, G. Moses grieved over personal loss. Coming into Numbers 20 here, we can sympathize perhaps a little bit more with Moses as we recognize that Miriam, who we know to be Moses' sister, had just died. And observing the general truth here, I think it is fair to say that grieving people often respond in anger. And grief is also accompanied with a lot of other responses that can often turn into bitterness, a prolonged period of anger. Oftentimes, other emotional states turn into a passion of wrath. Anger is often preluded by fear, by anxiety, by grief, such as with Moses, by stress, perhaps, or even tiredness. Uh, There's the old expression, don't cry over spilled milk. I was curious about this, so I looked it up, and the Oxford English Dictionary defines this phrase as, uh, don't cry over something that's already done, because it's futile to regret uh, what cannot be Undone. It was originally uh, appeared in print by James Howell in 1659, where he had in mind a farmer going to milk his cow. Uh, it was his sustenance for the day, and the cow kicks his bucket over. There's his milk, and, well, don't cry about it. But this got me thinking, adults don't cry. Uh, at my workplace, where we're interacting with product and pallets, I've seen guys drop 2,000-pound pallets of liquid with gla- in glass bottles from uh, an a decent height, of course, shattering it all, and they didn't cry. <laughs> Adults curse. Children cry. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a very simple way to understand it, but children are the ones to cry, and frankly, as I was thinking about it, I think since I was in junior high, I understood this phrase to be children crying at a dinner table, meaning a child having breakfast with the family spills his or her milk, and is, of course, it was an accident, but then who gets angry? It's usually the parent saying, you foolish child. How many times have I told you to not put your glass of milk near the edge of the table, push it further in, to not be clumsy, don't be playing at the table. That's it. You're not going to finish. You're not going to get another glass of milk, and you're not going to finish your breakfast. Get away from the table. And the child begins to cry, not because of the spilt milk, but because of the anger that was exhibited in that context. We need to not get angry over whatever the loss is. And so as an application for our lives, still in G here, grow in grace. This is really a key point to uh, my presentation or this sermon, if you will, today, in so much as that God helps you. Uh, this is not a quaint acrostic on anger we're trying to read from the Bible. This is not a self-help sermon where I'm trying to give us all advice to not be angry people. This is all about becoming more like Christ, whom we were singing about earlier, and growing in grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help in our time of need. God does not leave us alone, helpless, and, well, try to grow in grace. No. He helps us, and he desires that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. Jesus prayed for those who killed him on the cross. Jesus turned the other cheek. And yes, he was zealous over his father's house, but he was zealous for his father's sake. He wasn't after personal attention. I think this is made very clear as we've been going through John uh, on Sunday mornings. Jesus wasn't trying to get the spotlight. He was trying to represent his father well. So when you're tempted to be angry, perhaps consider saying, I I need a moment. It's okay to say, uh, just let me gather my thoughts, catch my breath, so that you don't blow up. Give yourself time to respond in a godly manner. Pray. Ask God for help. If you know that you're easily agitated when you're tired, maybe wait to have that hard conversation until you can get caught up on your sleep. As you grow in grace, I think that you'll realize that when you're inconvenienced, it's actually not that big of a deal. Meaning, for a small example, when the toilet paper roll doesn't, go, doesn't come off the way that you'd like it to come off, it's really not that big of a deal. It takes five seconds to turn it back around. Uh, to make it more weighty, uh, your car that got hit by someone in the parking lot it probably has insurance, and at the end of the day, it's just a dent. You don't need to be joyful about this. Obviously, we, don't, we aren't glad when our car is hit, but you don't need to go nuclear if someone accidentally hit your car. Your $7,000 instrument that someone carelessly knocked over and broke is just a piece of wood, a piece of metal. Now, please know, I say that as a musician. I have a great respect for my instruments. But once the action is done... You can't fix it. It's already been done. Some things can be fixed. But my point is that uh, we need to recognize instances where we are tempted to become angry and, uh, by God's enabling grace, grow in grace. And, of course, I think we would recognize that doesn't mean there aren't consequences for what has happened. But you don't need to let the whole room, or may I say the whole online lobby, know just exactly how upset you are over what just happened. So grow in grace. We're coming down to E. Expectations in the text were unmet. This is very clear in verse 5. The people wanted something from Moses, and their expectations were unmet. And so number two, when we observe what's going on here, we recognize that when we don't get what we expect, it's easy to get upset. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when the husband says he'll come home at a certain time, but he's late, the wife doesn't get what she expects. Her evening plans may be ruined and dinner may be cold. And there's that opportunity to become angry there. If the child gets bad grades, the parents are tempted to become angry. Why? Because expectations were not met. I think we would do well to echo the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 62, verse 5, where he says, My expectation is you is from you, where we as believers have our focus set on God. So what are some application we can make here? Well, I think we can edify others. Go out of your way to encourage other people. It it appears that many people find it very easy to go out of their way to vent and let everyone know just how angry they are. But it's a lot more difficult, I think, to go out of your way to encourage other people. Anger grabs the wrecking ball and tears down. Humility grabs the hammer and nails and builds up. 
This is not just about making others feel better, though. Sometimes humility rebukes others. But the intention, I think, is edification in helping other people be built up. There's a lot of hurting and discouraged people and people in our lives. Look for a creative way to edify them. And may I just say, as an aside, I think from my perspective, our church does very well at this. I've personally been very encouraged by receiving notes in my mailbox with a $15 gift card or a note saying I've been praying for you. Uh, Someone having us over for dinner and just to getting to know us better. I think we do well at this and so I would say keep going. Keep going out of your way to edify one another. And then lastly, R. The people were angry angry with Moses and he reacted. He had done a lot for the people. And frankly, if it were not for him, probably the nation of Israel would have looked a lot different. But note that the people's complaints to Moses, as I mentioned earlier, they weren't logical. They should have remembered their history and recalled to mind, God's given us water in a wilderness before. God takes care of us and helps us. Moses cares about us. He didn't lead us in the desert at the time, probably had been 37 years. Uh, just so that we would die out here. Now the older generation would die as a result of their sin and God's promise. But they should have been able to recognize that Moses cared for them and God cares for them. And frankly, I think it is easy to react to illogical people. When I played sports, uh, I would sometimes unintentionally foul another player in soccer. And oftentimes the player's teammates, whom I just fouled, Uh, would complain to the ref that I was intentionally trying to hurt him. I felt like responding at times, if I was trying to hurt him, he wouldn't get up off the ground. Uh, That would have been wrong. That would have been inappropriate for me as an expression of anger. But it's easy to react to illogical people. Of course, I wasn't trying to hurt the individual. And observing the truth here, anger is a reaction. Proverbs 15 says, A gentle answer turns turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. People often get in trouble with reactions, and so instead, try responding. Act, don't react. And so in application, restrain your spirit by the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. An angry person is an insecure person. Like a city that anyone can walk into and pillage is a person who is angry. Have you ever seen videos of people expressing their anger on uh, inanimate objects? Uh, I've seen uh, people destroy their TVs when their sports team loses, and as a result, they just ruin their TV and have a hospital bill for their hand now. Uh, because they want to react. They have no restrained spirit. Do not say, though, Andrew, this is just the way I am. I'm naturally an angry person. You need to get get used to it. Deal with it. (laughs) Well, that's not who God wants you to be. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 describe the fruit of the Spirit to us, which says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. It's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. And so therefore, I say again, God's people should be characterized by self-control, not 
anger. But you say, Andrew, what about so-called righteous anger? Christians can be righteously angry sometimes, right? Me personally, I would say I would be very slow to identify what you do as righteous, especially if you're emotionally charged. Meaning, if you have a fit where you think you have an opportunity to display righteous anger, be slow to think through that. That's frankly what James tells us to do explicitly. Be slow to anger. I believe, personally, that there is a place for anger, but I do not believe that it should characterize the Christian's life. That's my whole point here this morning. I do think that there is a right response for anger and the repulsiveness of sin. Frankly, I think sometimes in recognizing how despicable some things are, there is no other right response except anger at that. But this should not characterize your life. The God's people should not be characterized by anger. As I read through the Bible, God's people are hardly ever identified, let alone praised, for, being, for, for demonstrating righteous anger. So maybe you do think you have something legitimately to be angry about, but do you really need to express that online where they cannot see your facial expressions? They cannot hear the tone of your voice. They don't understand perhaps the full context. Do you really need to express your anger at the dinner table when you're there to eat? And could you wait to do it later? Do you really need to express your anger in a work environment where you have unsaved coworkers who may misunderstand? Christians should be marked and must be marked by self-control. If your life is marked by an unrestrained habit of anger, frankly, I'm not so much worried about your wrath as I am worried about God's wrath on you. What do I mean? God's wrath is an an attack on sin. It, It is an expression of God's holiness, his sinlessness. And guys, this is what Moses missed in Numbers 20. He did not represent God well in his anger. And as a result, God gave a really hard punishment to ensure that he, God, would be seen for who he is as a holy God. We see that in verse 13. God's anger is an expression of his holiness. It's also an an expression of his justice. Sin must be punished. But God's wrath is also an expression of his love. You say, Andrew, what do you mean? Why love? Well, a God without wrath or a God without anger makes his mercy meaningless. <laughs> you would never get what you deserve because God is all love. Uh, this is why books like or other materials that just emphasize uh, love wins and God is all love and we need to just focus on that is nonsense. God's love has actually made, helps us, we can understand God's love because of his anger at sin. And the Bible makes very clear that we are all children of God's wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. Furthermore, God unleashes his wrath on the ungodly and the unrighteous. That's Romans 1, 18. But you're given a choice. You can be subject to the righteous anger of God forever in a place called hell of eternal torment, or you can be justified by the blood of Christ and saved from God's wrath through him. That's Romans 5, 9. God judged Christ for your sins so that you can be free. What a God and what a Savior. Whenever I have moments where I sometimes struggle, uh, which I do have these moments, and wonder, is God even real? Is this all worth it? 
what helps bring me back to that he is real is that you can't make this stuff up. What the Bible says is absolutely what Paul says that it is to the Greeks. It's a scandal. It's, it's outrageous. Who on earth would imagine their God subjecting his own son whom he loves to die for sinners who don't even want anything to do with God? No God would do that. And other, we see this in other religions, right? You have to do something to earn God's favor. Yes, maybe God does something at some times, but you have to do something. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way. He is the truth and he is the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. He died on the cross to take the punishment that you deserve. He rose from the dead so that identifying with him and trusting him, you have the hope someday knowing that when you die, you will be raised and have an eternity with God also. God offers you hope in the gospel, in the good news. You do not have to be subject to the righteous wrath of God for eternity. You can turn to Christ and you can live. Often in hard times, people begin to question, I believe, the goodness of God and become angry at him. I would not be surprised if any of the events in this year have tempted some of us to think this way. The people in Israel saw the dry desert and they forgot the character of their God, and they got angry at him and his appointed leader. We must remember that the presence of sin does not entail the absence of God. He always cares for his children. Our circumstances should never dictate our theology. Things around us may be changing, and they are, but the one above us does not change. Maybe God leads you into a wilderness with no water so you can trust him to provide. Maybe God allows a loved one you have to die so that he can draw you to the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Maybe God chastens you for sin so that you will reflect him more accurately and others will know God is holy. Maybe God leads you into a wilderness with no water so he can make himself look really big and really good. But you say, Andrew, you don't know what I'm going through. Andrew, the things that I'm facing are hard. And that's probably true. But that does not excuse you to allow anger to mark your life. Again, that's my point this morning. A Christian should not be characterized by anger. God's people trust him and believe in his promises. And God's made a wonderful promise that a lot of angry people would do well to remember. That promise is, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. A lot of angry people feel like injustice, and they want to take justice into their own hands to accomplish what they feel has been undone. But what does God say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God is just and no sin gets away from his judgment. But do you know who said that? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So Paul quotes it in Romans, right? But he's actually quoting from something. And with this, we'll end. Turn over to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, and we're going to look at verses 35 and 36. God is just. No sin gets away from his judgment, so angry people can remember they can trust God because God says, first appearing in our Bibles in Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, saying, vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip, for the day of calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. 
For the Lord will vindicate his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their strength is gone, and there is nothing remaining, bond or free. Look up at the top of that chapter now, or maybe verse, uh, the last verse of chapter 31. Who said those words? Yeah, it was Moses. Moses knew better than anyone that God is the avenger. God promises that justice will be accomplished. And in a moment of anger, Moses thought he would let the people know just how displeased he was by rebuking them. And yet, he, little did he realize that would cost him from going into the promised land. Here in Deuteronomy 32, this is one of Moses' last exhortations to the people. It would only be two chapters later where he died, only ever getting to look into the promised land, but never actually getting to go in. God takes anger seriously. So when you're tempted to explode over the next thing that 2020 brings, which probably will have something maybe next month, remember that God's people trust him. Remember that God cares about you, as we just read in Deuteronomy 32 here. God cares about you and what you're going through. And remember, God's people are characterized by self-control, not anger. We need to pray.